I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and with me, he's a real living undead phenomenon. It's I, Alexander Nash. I like that intro because it wasn't uh, very specific to the terrible subject that we will be talking about. And the terrible subject matter is Toby Hooper's episode of Season 1, Dance of the Dead, written by Richard Matheson, and the teleplay is by Richard Matheson II, which is not his name. It's Richard Christian Matheson. Yeah, Richard Christian Matheson. I like Richard Matheson II because I couldn't remember his middle name. (laughs) Well, this is like, we could both say that we're huge Toby Hooper fans, a lot of his uh, early work, and it seems like out of all directors, I mean, you have your Dario Argento's, uh, you can even throw George Romero on there, like how they kind of progressively made... Less interesting films. John Carpenter, for example, who obviously doesn't give a shit. But Toby was the first to really stop caring. And this is towards the end of his directing career. And man, he, I, did, I, did you care? Or did you just... <laughs> I don't think he did. And we're fanboys. We like Toby Hooper. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that uh, a couple years ago I was coming out of anesthesiology. What? I was coming out of anesthesia, rather, after a surgery, and the the very first words out of my mouth, I just yelled Toby Hooper. And that's my go-to before I ever have a procedure or have to do something scary. I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's probably my favorite movie, and I think it's perfect and one of the greatest films of all time. I love Toby Hooper. And this episode of Masters of Horror is is bad. It's painfully bad. Really? And I just, I don't know when Toby stopped caring or if that's the case, but it really doesn't seem, you could put any person's, you could have put my name on this now, uh, even though it came out 17 years ago while I was in high school, and it'd still be pretty believable. It does not feel like Toby Hooper. The, the directing credit could easily be accredited to generic 2005 horror product because that's how it's made that's what it looks like that's the feel of it and it's just has no distinguishing artistic merits to it really i mean like the only thing i can think of is toby i mean you can see as his career progressed that like his style changed like kind of film to film and what he was interested in doing and maybe at that point in history with this toolbox murders that it's just I got to update. I need to like update my style and make it more modern. And it's just modern vomit. And like, is it the editor? This, did he like just not be, was he not part of the edit of this and a lot of his like later films to where it's just, it's so generically made with, I mean, Billy Corrigan did the music quote unquote. And it's just, 
it's generic 2005 like um edgy kind of metal and industrial stuff thrown in the background and everybody's dressed in 2005 edgy industrial metal kind of outfits it's just i don't know it's just it didn't seem like there was any care put into it because the story itself i mean i think it the original uh richard matheson story has like it has some teeth to it. It has some ideas to it, especially the time period it was written are kind of um, very revolutionary, somewhat anti-government, anti-humanity concepts he's working with. And like pre or post World War II, a lot of these things could be kind of like get under your skin and like make you think about topics in a different way. But this time and era, it just is like, messy and feels just like nothing i don't know you do you know what i mean it just doesn't even feel like like it's something worth being discussed well it's you you've brought up industrial metal but i felt it was a a bit more like the new metal scene of that time period like a soul fly kind of feeling taproot those sort of bands not even a limp biscuity corn new metal but the, the the more down the 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 ladder new metal bands almost to like Jinko jeans, but there's also a lot of characters that are wearing strange, kind of like 1920s big ballroom clothing, and it it in comparison to the Matheson story, they share a great deal of concepts. But this really does feel like a product of its time, and the early 2000s really had. There's a Seinfeld quote where where somebody says something to the effect of Tuesdays have no feeling. What's today? It's Thursday. Really? Feels like Tuesday. Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up. From like 2001 to 2006, there really was no feeling <laughs> to anything. It was just very bland, generic products. Horror was so commercialized at this point that it was dead. There wasn't really anything successful. In fact, it was was rare indie horror gems like Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses that had come out in the early 2000s and and small blips of things like that. And this seems so forgettable. It's uh, it's 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 odd how memories stain differently, though, that I was incredibly in 2005 when this came out. I think I was a junior or a sophomore in high school, one or the other. And this was was I loved watching Masters of Horror. It was one of my favorite things, and each thing was so edgy and so different, and I was enamored with watching the Masters. You know, oh my God, this is a new thing from Toby Hooper. And 17 years later, it's very... I don't know, there's a lot of unique stuff, I think, visually in the episode, like the Dance of the Dead, and that's what my memory was. Oh, this is a really twisted episode. There's going to be some really weird stuff. And it felt like uh, a cut scene from a video game. Feels like it was something out of Blade for Christ's sakes. I don't know. Blade Two was really, really good though. I mean, I Blade Two is miles above that. Well, it's just it's that kind of generic club like vibe, and it just has too many weird like science fiction elements added to it to like muddy up the core story because we don't even get to the core idea of what's happening, or is it ex- really like explained to us until like what we're like thirty five minutes in? Yeah, there's just a bunch of random stuff happening like. There's a plague, like a chemical weapon type plague that's like changed the world and everything's kind of falling apart. And there's 
a family of a mother and a daughter that owns a diner and they're just trying to make it by and they're like roaming bands of teenagers stealing blood that is kind of explained later. Briefly, yeah. I mean, it almost kind of entails that you have some knowledge of the Matheson story. Otherwise, it's just this very strange cutscene that lasts for about 50 minutes and then abruptly ends. And the concepts are are very similar. I mean, the point of the story is it's a post-World War III society, and this is the fringe of society and how things are are now after after the fall per se and Matheson's story written in the 1950s there's a lot of detail immediately added in that somewhat is interjected into the the Hooper version but like comic books are now taught as curriculum in school so the kids talk really strange and they have all this different new post-war lingo where words that we formerly knew like struggle mean something completely different in their vernacular and the story is about these people in a convertible driving to this bar and a lot of that is what we end up watching i mean it feels like it's 20 minutes of this high-paced static car scene where there's some great dialogue you can't hear it that well it's awful sound mix and it's just there's too many effects there's too much sounds of the car other people are talking and you've got one character acting his heart out and you don't get to hear any of this insanity and there's in so the... much shaky cam and so many yeah, distractions man. thrown over the image as opposed to trying to make it like um weird comparison but like um some of the stuff in halloween ends that you know uh, the teen runaway angle in halloween ends how, like so how that vibe kind of feels is what they were, seemed to be trying to attempt but it just doesn't work in this capacity. It just feels kind of lazy and it feels like it's added on because the core ideas of the story, I mean, the overall ending of it is like the cruelty of humanity. And we just don't get to too much of that because we're just introducing all this, like these concepts and these ideas, like every five seconds of this new stuff that doesn't particularly figure into the overall plot of the story we're trying to tell and i just i felt very lost on kind of the point of the whole thing until you get to the end and you get your like ec comics you know irony ending um in this version but it's like it's just it seems like it's almost like a postscript like it's not even like particularly important to the story it's about the teens i'm like but they just seem like every day like you know you, like youth run amok like stuff it doesn't like seem revolutionary it doesn't seem like um how society's crumbling it's just kind of how society is and a lot of that's probably budgetary but it's just i don't know it's just generic there's there's fire eaters in the streets because this is barter town when they like they go to the club and stuff and people pay to watch dead people dance yeah, I mean, the, the whole point, I feel, of, of Matheson's story is these teens are traveling to see what is called LUPs, Living Undead Phenomenon, or they jokingly call them loopies. And you learn, eventually in the story, that it's an effect of toxic gases in World War Three that pretty much turned people into zombies, but these zombies don't eat you or do anything, they just kind of exist painfully so they electrocute them to force them to dance and that somewhat is the idea of of what the hooper masters of horror episode is about but as you were just explaining so much stuff is interjected into it the idea of simplicity with matheson is is a great amount of detail if you've ever read the man's work 
Um, I strongly recommend it. I Am Legend is one of the greatest books of all time ever written, one of the greatest pieces of literature ever, point blank, no argument. He's brilliant, but he's a very descriptive writer, and something is uh, boring or lackadaisical as a car ride he can bring into a great amount of life, and he describes the city, and as they're driving, kind of this fallen end-of-the-world scenario, and when it translates into the Hooper version, there is just absolutely too much going on. If you did focused on that sense of dread and simplicity, which we all know is a specialty of Toby Hooper, he he can really build an incredible sense of dread with no nothing, just a soundtrack and people screaming. It's what made him uh, iconic. And again, like we said at the beginning of this, not this is an assault on Toby Hooper or Masters of Horror, but it's it's so jammed filled with shit, just idea after idea. And I don't want to put I don't want to for one blame anybody, but if blame has to be put, I think it might be a lot to do with the teleplay and the son of Matheson updating the story and it's just not a good update, especially with the political climate of 2005, I think there was a lot more interesting that could have been done instead of, like you said, it's just like, uh, I, I mentioned a, a video game cutscene and you mentioned Barter Town. This feels like a cutscene from one of the Mad Max video games, if anything. It doesn't have its own feeling. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for this episode right now, and I find this funny. Uh, there's a critical reception part. On, on this page, <laughs> and it's from Dread Central. Dread Central wrote, This is Hooper at his best, gratuitous, nihilistic, and unhinged, disengaged from whatever power that has been holding him back for so many years. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's like, it's mid-2000s edgy shit. That's all it is, and it's just like all thrown together. Like, it, it's almost like an an old person of that era going, Look at what the teens are up to today. They're gonna be taking blood from the from the old people on the streets and like, okay, what whatever. It just I don't know. Your your deal that is such a cool concept though. I mean, we get that scene and they, they it's like a carjacking, except they're jacking them of their blood, and we don't really run with it. Towards the end of the episode you get an all right dialogue scene with a a very I would say spiffy looking Robert England where you find out that they use the blood to kind of pump up the loopies before the dance. But that's really cool. That's something that you could have really worked into with morbid curiosity that these people are pretty much living vampires. And now he's almost lured this little girl away from her home. But the twist ending for this is, is even beyond even fucking M. Night Shyamalan would sigh and go, God, really? That's that's the twist. All right. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's it's just a twist for the purpose of having a twist to make the feel like the story feel like it's paid off in some way of like, okay, this is what it was about. It's like, no, I mean, it was really just, I mean, it, it's about all these ideas, but none of them are particularly cemented. I do like Robert England in it because he gets to do his like best theater kid cabaret act where he like gets to put on the makeup and not have to be Freddy Krueger and you know, like play a major character. Cause he's like, if you go through his work with Toby Hooper, uh, like even something like the mangler, Toby always let him just kind of go off and be as bold and brazen as he wanted to as an actor. And that's, that's another example of that. And Robert gets to, you know, do a lot of soliloquies and a lot of speeches and all that's well and good and fun. But it like, none of that shit adds to the fucking plot. And I think that's my biggest issue with it. It's just, it's so loose of a story 
And when you're doing especially a horror anthology, you really want to lock in that because all horror anthology, as I see it anyway, like films over the years, is all somewhat based on that EC Comics format that just deserts that you you might get a loose, complicated story, but at the end it's all going to pay off with a you know the wah wah sad trombone uh, noise. And they try to do that with the ending of this one, but it's just like it's uninteresting. You really haven't like earned what you're going for because you like didn't particularly talk about it that much. You, you tried to like pepper it in there. It's just not particularly effective. And it's mostly about all this other stuff that you don't even particularly explain. You're just kind of throwing ideas and concepts at the audience. And just, just accept this one, just accept this one, just accept this one. And then at the end, everybody is living in a, you know, a disturbed video for the rest of their lives. Oh, wow. Like, okay, the end, I guess. I don't know. It just, it felt, very generic and not particularly well thought out. What's wrong with the sky? It's blizzard! Everybody take cover! Take cover! Death toll in the U.S. alone from months of terrorist blitz attacks is now officially over 9 million seven American cities, including New York and Los Angeles, remain destroyed by the war. We're safe! We're safe! Please! 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 you want to see the world? My mother says that there isn't much left to the world. Plenty left if you know where to go. Everything people in Mesquites do is a goddamn trick. I'm not losing another daughter. It's what's inside your head, Angel! Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dance of the dead. Oh, you just can't get enough, can you? Somewhere good. Too much of the plot, the the core plot at least, is given away, and you kind of figure out what's going to happen at the end, and then throughout the story, so much interesting stuff is interjected that ends up being far cooler to me than the idea of what's going on, because we, we are introduced to every character in a diner sequence, and we find out that our lead, Peggy, her sister has disappeared, but then these marauders have come into town and her mom throws her out. So obviously she's going to fucking leave with them and somehow we're going to, spoiler, find her sister at the end of the story. And we do, but along the way we get all these weird and wacky drugs that are shown at us. We see some of the environment. Again, we've got this this carjacking blood sort of thing. They're blood pirates. And all of that really, really is awesome. And it's just blips of stuff instead of it having any hook to really sink in or any explanation as to why they have to survive this just way. Just 
ultimately pointless to the narrative that they're trying to tell. And that makes it unfortunate because it's more interesting than the narrative and we stray away from it so much that by the time we're at the narrative and we finally get to the Doom Room toward the end of the episode, it's like, I don't care. Do you care? But <laughs> there's, yeah, I don't yeah. Know. that's just like, I, like, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. This is, this is the ending. Okay, I guess. And when you do watch a horror anthology, you want that, you want the, the payoff. You really want it to pay off. And I think some of the masters of horror do like have that. Pay. I think um, Coscarelli's Instant and On and Off a Mountain Road has that EC Comics payoff. I think, um, God, uh, there's a, even Jennifer to an extent has that payoff. We'll talk about that later. And um, in season two, Hooper did um, an episode called The Damned Thing. And much like this episode, it has the same vibe of like, well, here you go. Here's the ending. Well, you didn't even like you didn't earn any of this. You just kind of slapped this on at the end to kind of go, here you go. This is this is what's been happening. OK, well, you didn't build to this at all. <laughs> you just kind of had a bunch of like incoherent shit. And now we're just it's over the end. By the way, it was a monster. The end. I think one of the biggest shames, too, is that, you know, from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I feel you can really get the vibe that the post-apocalypse and or the, the society, post-government, whatever you want to call it, the, the future, the wasteland, seems like something he was really interested in. And you, you have that whole complication of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that it's really just about the gas crisis and the end of the world and what society is going to have to do to keep pushing forward. And that's all very present in what we're talking about and it just seems so completely misguided and you know i don't want to accuse toby of not caring but it really seems like somebody that just showed up for work and as you even brought up like like billy corgan did the soundtrack but i'm not entirely sure what because it's not really industrial it doesn't sound like original music a great portion of its system of a down so it's like all of these people were put together and it seemed like a great creative force, Billy Corgan, Toby Hooper, Richard Christian Matheson, something really fantastical. And, and I, I would say from that dread central thing, you would assume, assume nihilistic and dark. And to me, it's, it's almost like a cable television thing. It could have been 30 minutes. It's such a, I don't, I don't like using the term more than once, but it's just a blip. It's so forgettable that it's, it's Toby Hooper. It's almost, upsetting that it is toby hooper well it, like it, the thing i could say it's comparable to is a lot of kim hinkle's work after texas chance master with um with next generation it has that vibe it has the vibe of um his um uh, i can never like it had several titles bone boys and butcher boys he made a movie in like the 2013 or 12 or somewhere in there uh kim hinkle did that has those similar themes of the Illuminati and underground societies and all that. Like it follows along kind of that path. I don't know. It's because Kim and Toby were just interested in those similar concepts, but they both kind of equally like capitalize on it. Like it's it, none, none of that shit is like that good. Like the, none of the movies or stories they've told about these ideas have been like, were that good or like that interesting. They were just kind of like, just so many loose and random concepts that they didn't know how to control or narrow down. They're almost um, 
like literature concepts. That doesn't need to be written down and to like really express it through page after page of description as opposed to trying to visualize it because visually it's it's just not that interesting. And that's the probably the most important thing I can say about this episode altogether is it's just visually completely uninteresting. He tried. He tried to make it new and hip, but it just comes off as 100% generic and of its era. And that's, I, it just more than anything made me feel just like, oh God, what a cringy time period 2005 was. And that's all I felt the entire time. I just, it was more of like a, uh, traveling back to my own past and seeing like all the things that were popular in culture and just going, wow, no wonder that shit didn't stick around. It's sort of uh, unique to bring up also, or at least worth of note to mention, Toby Hooper's book, Midnight Movie, is very similar to this in the idea that a virus is let loose throughout the United States and infects people. I don't want to give away too much from that book because it's a really interesting read itself, but conceptually it's something that him and Hinkle have constantly run with, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is just an extension of the first one and obviously a fuck you to the studio, but even something like The Mangler, which I dare say I think is Hooper's last greatest feat as a director before he started making uh, a dark His last era. redeemable effort. Yeah, and there's a lot of effort really in that movie, and there's a lot of... I love Ted Levine. I love Robert England. I think it's obviously not something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think it's a strong and enjoyable movie. And even that vibe itself is almost apocalyptical and dark and gritty. And it, it just seems, and, and the Masters of Horror series had a, a pretty, I would say, nice and relaxed budget. You had Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero doing the effects. There was a real studio support behind this. So I it, it, I just I wish I knew more about Hooper in the 2000s and what was going on with him because everything at hand I think even visually could have had such a, a, a rich interpretation on screen and as you had just said it's it's beyond flat it's mostly static you know there's a, a lot of scenes of motion but nothing's really moving and it just seems like a, a whirly music video. It seems like Toby at the like later end of his career post nineties that he just was like less involved with the uh, post-production. Like he was kind of a gun for hire, shoot it, put my name on it, do whatever you want to in the editing. And it's just, it's full of that early two thousands, quick cuts, fast editing, flashing lights, uh, shaky cam, just a lot of like bad film techniques and over color correction. And it, it, it feels very novice. And that's what's really kind of disturbing about the whole thing. It's just like you have a director who'd been in the industry for 40 some odd years. And it's just like anybody could have directed this this way, like a college student at the, the time. Like this was their master film thesis of just like, here you go. I did this. And it's just that style. And it's just Toby, like, okay, we were talking, you were just talking about the Mangler. What Toby did with the Mangler is take a story, which is fucking ridiculous. It's a dumb story that Stephen King wrote. And the natural inclination of any filmmaker is to take that story and do it somewhat satirically or put a lot of um, very bold humor into it. But Toby decided to take that story 
and make it deadly serious and have lots of scenes of almost melodrama in it. It does not that it doesn't have a sense of humor. It does have a sense of humor, but it's very like underlined the surface sense of humor. And it concentrates a lot on intense dialogue scenes and less on like, you know, action or uh, fast paced cutting. So he did what I think was appropriate for that script, which was take it and just, make it as serious as possible and as if you take it serious maybe the audience is going to take it serious and you'll draw them in but like this it just it doesn't feel like he had a creative vision behind it it was just like shoot 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 i know there's time constraints i know there's money constraints when you're shooting tv even for showtime in 2005 but still like compare if you start looking a lot of these i'm assuming all the budgets were somewhat similar because like mikay made a piece of art with the budget he was given and maybe the exchange rate in japan is different i don't fucking know and he was able to get more bang for his buck in his episode but like it's a piece of film art and a lot of these other entries are just like well I, this is all i could afford it's like but maybe don't like try to put so much on the screen maybe like think about it maybe break it down maybe like actually turn your smaller budget into a positive as opposed to the negative because that's what i feel when i see a lot of these masters of horror is just like well we didn't have a budget so this is what we could do so uh there you go accept it it's like no like you used to be able to do much better work on budgets this small i just think like your time and energy behind it is just you just don't care as much because it was I guess considered somewhat throwaway entertainment. It's just a TV show. So why bother spending the time and energy? But again, Mikay just like, nah. Yeah. I'm just going to make one of my movies and it's going to be fucking good. What are you going to do about it? And apparently they're all going to fold because not not any of them hit to that level. Because as far as ratings go, this is a one and a half out of five for me. But Mikay's is a four and a half out of five. So that's that's the distance between a lot of the, the highest one out of all these besides Mikay's was like a three and a half, but Mikay like bounds ahead of everybody else and everybody else did something like, okay, I guess that's suitable. It's, it's decent enough. Yeah. Also on the note of Mikay, I think this is the only thing the man has ever made under two hours and 20 minutes also. And he managed to fit all of this into to 50 minutes. His is completely exemplary. And I'm very excited. That one's unfortunately the last one. And it was banned in the United States that we'll get to talk about. So you get to wait to the very end to hear the best stuff. But I will say on a positive note, at least for this, I thought despite it being faff, much of the acting was pretty impressive. I really liked Ryan McDonald as Box, who's just playing this absolute lunatic. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a shame that it's it's just the sound mix. You don't get to hear a lot of the insanity during the car scene and a lot of the stuff he's quoting from the, it's not a novella, but the short, the Richard Matheson short story. I love Jonathan Tucker. I really liked him in that Temple movie. It wasn't called The Temple Movie. The Ruins. The Ruins, yeah. And that was an, he, a great performance all around. He, he was t- in uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. The which original. Is odd. I yeah. Mean... Very, very American faced kind of guy, though. He's got that baby faced 1970 college, high school quarterback sort of thing. He's believable. He's kind of like, uh, the uh, white of. Uh version of uh clifton collins yeah i he very yeah 
or Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez, depending on how he's billed currently. I, I don't know what his name is in SAG. And sometimes it's Clifton Collins Jr. But yeah. I, I like Jonathan Tucker. Um, Jessica Lowndes did Peggy. I thought she was terrible. The the six that quote unquote sixteen year old. Oh yeah, she's who like twenty seven. Obviously twenty seven. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's up there in age. It's flat acting, but for TV I have no problem with it. And it I love the the insanity coming out of uh Ryan McDonald. There's a scene where Robert England is the MC in this club and ask him where he comes and this is just a, it's, it's 2005 so he says I'm from your ass and when Nash is talking about looking back on 2005 culture and cringing a little bit this is that that's what he's talking about it's yes. that sort of just it's not it's not even dick and fart humor all these elaborate set pieces are set up and the guy says back to him I'm from your ass, but he's funny, and that's what really plays the scene. Tucker's not, he's playing this really serious character, and he's brooding and filled with emotion. He's doing this whole fucking James Dean thing, and then he's got just insanity next to him. And it plays off really well, but it goes nowhere because the story itself is just bullshit. In this instance, I mean, I don't, I, the Matheson story I'll speak of in the highest regard, and I'll always speak of him in the highest regard, but this iteration of that story is bullshit. Well, it's it's such a, like a philosophic concept that they're working with, and they just handle it in just a very non-philosophic way of just throwing it out there and not really paying it the like the care it deserves because it really deserves dialogue, it deserves discussion, and it's just kind of well, here you go, and it's as edgy as we could possibly make it. It's like I don't want edge; I want sincerity. And there's nothing like at all that's sincere about the story, just at all. Um, rarely, especially in Masters of Horrors, do you get that much sincerity. But there's a few, like uh, season two, Brad Anderson made uh, makes an episode we'll talk about later, I'm sure at some point, called uh, Sounds Like. And there's sincerity in that. There's an emotional core component to it. And this doesn't have that. This is just all, all fake edge. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't know other way to explain it other than that. It's it's a pizza cutter. It's all edge, no cut. I don't know. I can't remember the quote I was trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly. Uh, all uh, something, it's no like edge. A, it's like a pizza cutter, all no edge. I don't know. Fuck it. I'll cut that out. But he did not, in fact, cut that out. You know, there is one scene of legitimate sincerity in this episode, and... I will say, just for us recording, I ended up watching Dance of the Dead three times. And all three, well, not counting the first time I saw it in 2005, so I've seen it a whole whopping four times now. Look at me, I'm an overachiever. But there is a moment, and I'm not sure which girl it is, but our two, they're not leads, but the two sub-leads, Box and Jax, played by, or Jack, rather, with no C, played by Jonathan Tucker and Ryan McDonald, have these two tag-along girls, and they're at the Doom Room, or the Doom Club, or whatever the fuck it was called, Robert England's doing his whole thing, and they're discussing what the LUPs are and what the Dance of the Dead is. And Peggy turns to the girl and says, so, so what are these things? And it's it's haunting and sort of beautiful and maybe the only real sincere scene in this entire episode. The accompanying girl says back, that's what happens to people like me. And it's just the moment of shock. And what's funny is the end of the episode, again, spoilers, we learn out that the girl that is 
the doing the dance of the dead the lup is peggy's missing sister that's supposed to be really shocking her mother who we've kind of jumped around and missed a lot of the plot points but you know that's we don't do that that's not we're not going to recite the entire fucking thing for you on death by dvd watch it it's a film class for christ's sake check it out your fucking self but her mother's been searching for her the whole time and when she gets to the club there's a big shocking scene where she is taken down and is going to become one of the next dead to dance and that itself should make you go oh my god and an audience gasp is inserted everywhere but for me it was that one subtle scene of the accompanying girl just looking at her and nonchalantly she doesn't seem to have a problem with it and it's just this almost morbid curiosity of excitement that this is going to become her saying that's what happens to people like me and there is some real uh, shock, I guess you could say, the sl- a little slight edge when you see Robert England playing the MC. He uses these, they're essentially zombies, they just don't bite, uh, for, for sex. That he injects them with the blood that's being stolen so they spaz around so he can fuck them and get head oral, to use the, uh, the correct vernacular. So you that's maybe... I mean, it's a dull edge. Let's put it that way. It's not the sharpest thing. But the problem with it is we're given these brief scenes and there's no soul behind that edge. There's nothing else to really make us. Because I don't feel bad for anyone in this. There's no emotion. None of these characters seem like they're real for me. And, And no matter what, no matter what shit I'm watching, it could be Ultraman, a Japanese children's show. When I'm watching something, I try to detach myself from my reality and believe that what I'm watching is 100% real, that I'm going on this ride in this universe, and I just don't feel that I can do that with Dance of the Dead, that it's it's just constantly stop and go, stop and go. It's like you're learning how to drive when you're 16. Hooper just keeps hitting the brakes every time he accelerates a little bit, and it's really damning for for me. I mean, it's, it's my fucking opinion, so I, again, don't want to come off like we're trying to assault and jump this fucking episode and tarnish the name of toby hooper but you can't always kiss ass you just can't well, i mean <laughs> just look at the man's body of work post 90s there's just not anything like mortuary's bad yeah his other episode of masters of horror is bad toolbox murders is bad. terrible I don't think toby would even particularly mind he would just like i had some ideas sure but i i think he knew it but, like, man's got to eat, too, so, oh. Buying some cigars. But did you ever see his last film, Jen, the the first film shot in the United Arab Emirates? I don't think it's actually his film, though. Well, that's been said about Toby Hoover before in the past, though. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty sure this one was a, like, they literally paid him to put his name on it so because they needed American director to get the financing well i hope he at least got to use the money for something you know before yeah, he, he sure unfortunately he got some died. like chunk out of it and he might have had to show up and do some but i'm pretty sure that was directed like in-house with like um local like filmmakers and he was just kind of there to act as like a screen for some like american money that was coming in stuff like well we got an american director um but yeah i just I think Toby was out of the game. I think Argento is completely out of the game. I don't know why he's continuing to make things. He has to know, like, the shit he's making is terrible. Because, like, um, was it Dark Glasses? Come the fuck on. I, I, I couldn't finish it. I, I guess I could. It's so bad. I just stopped. I, once, it, once the plot really... 
I, I'm trying to stay spoiler free, but once we find out and you do pretty quickly why the killer's killing and who they are, I just was done. Like, nope, it's it's. Uh, you nope. said I stink. Yeah. Fuck it, spoiler time. <laughs> it's a smelly guy with a van. The motherfucker that made Suspiria Profundo Rosso 40 years later. Smelly guy with a van. That's the fucking movie. He doesn't just have a van. That's the main murder weapon. He hits, he hits people with a van. The yeah. end. It's, it's actually imperative to the plot that he has a van because that's all he fucking does is run people over. It's so dumb. And all of his movies like have, like, the last one that I could partially get behind, and I'm no like big fan of uh, Stendhal Syndrome. I don't think that's a particularly good film either. But like, um, so was it Sleepless? Sleepless was okay. It was kind of a somewhat return to the giallo genre and stuff. And uh, I didn't think Pelts, his Master of Horror, is that bad. And his other Master of Horror, Jennifer, it wasn't like terrible. But like, he just lost. Any of that artistic filmmaking, he just it, he didn't seem to care. It seems like I will put my name on this and I get to work. I get to keep doing. But like, I'm just not interested. I'm not interested in making this type of film anymore. But this is what people pay me to do. What is the uh, American one that he did with the head cutter off device? The trauma. Trauma. Not a fan of trauma either. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I did get, I believe it was Vinegar Syndrome put that one out, and it, it looks nice now. I think maybe a lot of the problem is the original version of the movie just fucking looked like shit. Now it's been all blown up and cleaned and is, is interesting, so you can actually see a lot of the gore effects on it. But it's, it's again, very similar to Toby Hooper with just... I, it doesn't even feel like they ran out of gas. It just felt like they they got out of the car completely, both of them. And, I mean, for me... Opera is the last greatest feat oh, yeah. of art from Argentina. And that one, like, there's a, a certain, like, it's not a great film, and it does have a little bit of an Argento vibe, but it feels more like stage fright to me. It doesn't feel like there was the amount of care. And talking about Masters of Horror, John Carpenter is a lot of the same way that, like, I know you know how to light. I know you know how to, like, move a camera appropriately. It's just, like, you just stopped. You're just like, ah, that's a lot of fucking effort. Let's just go ahead and just like, let's just shoot it flat and um, like get this over and under budget and in time. It's like, but you, you made like Escape from New York. You made like, it was Dean Cundy your only like, your saving grace? Did Dean Cundy make all the Carpenter films look good and Carpenter just doesn't know how to make shit look good? Because that's what it feels like a lot of the time. Well, this is the man that regularly and openly says, I'm a terrible musician. I just press a button and let the synth do everything for me. So that very well could be true, but I also don't want to turn our Masters of Horror spectacular into us, like, challenging <laughs> You know what? Get in here and fucking fight me, Carpenter, you son of a bitch. Because I, I love each person, each, each of the 13 directors in the first season, I really can say I have a love for, and that is such a strong word, such a strong emotion, but I love Toby Hooper. I love Mick Garris, but I don't always love the art that Toby Hooper and Mick Garris make, and the same goes for Joe Dante, Don Coscarelli. That's not true. Not, I, I can't say that about Don Coscarelli. Every goddamn thing. I can't thing. say about Joe Dante or Don Coscarelli, because I think they've always been successful in the stories they're trying to tell. They might have some issues here and there, but 
they always make something that is watchable and interesting and entertaining. But a lot of these like other filmmakers, they just like bomb out. Coscarelli's never made a bad film. At Frank Hanawater's never made a bad film. They might make some ones that are less successful, but like Argento has made plenty of bad films. There's a thing with Don Coscarelli, and it always have to be of note when you're reviewing his films. If Reggie Bannister is not in the cast, it's not going to be his best work. It won't be subpar, but it's going to be... Eh. And and it's true, Beastmaster and Incident on and Off a Mountain Road would be the only two films from Don Coscarelli that I would give maybe three and a half to four stars, everything else, uh, five stars. Don't care. What about care. Vision Quest? Or is it... No, Survival Quest. Vision Quest is a Matthew Modine picture. Reggie Bannister is the helicopter pilot. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he's technically in it. <laughs> Briefly. I usually am good with Reggie. Like, I can tell you most of his roles. He's in one of the Manglers. I think he's in Mangler 3, or it might be 4. He's even in Bubba Hotep. He's the guy that runs the old folks' home. He just doesn't Are have a ponytail. <laughs> yeah. And, well, everybody's in Wishmaster, though. That was That's what's the glory of that movie is, is every few seconds. It's like the Expendables, except 50 Cent isn't in it. Two hours and 45 minutes. The new Expendable movie is three hours of 50 Cent. Who wants to go see it with me? Woo! No, 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 thank you. Direly off subject, but I just want to point out the new Expendables movie is three fucking hours later. This is why people are striking. <laughs> this is the problem with modern cinema. Give us a three-hour version of Dance of the Dead. Maybe Hooper might have told... Uh, I See, I don't think it has anything to do with time. I think if he had two hours to do this, it would have just been like a 40 He would have just added track. extra fucking car shots and like like weird stuff to throw in there. The driving scene would have literally been 48 minutes of the movie at that case. And I'm exaggerating with how long it actually is, but it is an excessively long scene with just people in a car doing some crazy drugs. And uh, you've pointed this out aptly multiple times, so I'm just driving it in again. If there had, if any of this had had an application that forward, forwarded the story to anything, it would have been great. But otherwise, it's just these blips and these scenes, and it doesn't feel like there was a composition to the scene when clearly there is. The story at the end presents itself, but that itself is a shame that at the end we finally get sense of it. And I was bringing it up earlier. You've got the Dance of the Dead. It's the name of the episode. But in the first, what, 15 minutes, it's unveiled to us. That's a bit problematic, I guess you could say, because there's no excitement for the end of the story when you finally see it, and that's supposed to be the utmost lack of humanity, that there is no more hope. It is a disgusting fetish that these people have, watching these bodies uh, in death still forced to entertain as slaves from the grave, and it just isn't emotional, and that fucking sucks, because it's set up to really be a hit to you. It really should be mentally disturbing, it, it's just dumping little clues along the way, and you can do that, but you, you like your ending, your like explanation, your payoff needs to really pay off. If you're gonna do it like that, and the payoff is just kind of like that's what this has been about. Okay, whatever. It just it's like that M Night Shyamalan scenario of how he always has to have that twist. So every movie you watch of his, you're waiting for that twist. You're waiting for that twist. And when that twist isn't sufficient or it doesn't pay off, you just feel kind of ripped off. Um, so that's why you don't base a film career over twist endings because you're going to irritate a lot of people. 
over time because I feel like I didn't get my money's worth. You're supposed to really wow me with the end, and you didn't. So, Well, if the twist hadn't been exposed within the first ten minutes of the story being told, there might have been something a bit more effective about it, but there just doesn't seem like, to me, to this fair critic, like there was any sense to... Like, I mean, obviously when you sit down and shoot stuff, it's not always in order, and you're going to shoot these scenes most of the time completely out of order, and in post you're going to edit it and make it into what the, the final feature is. It feels like this was just pieced together in order of it being shot, of just random scenes. Like, there's something more that we, the audience, are supposed to be reading into, but none of that pretense was really given to us, nor were we allowed to have it. And it's... You know, I don't I, I just I don't want to end things with being like it's just fucking poorly directed, but sometimes I guess you gotta throw an arrow at your heroes. It's just a, a poorly pieced together piece. And I am never in any position to say something is or isn't art, but you had brought up, especially with Takashi Mikes, and it's growing on me. When we get to Jennifer, I think we'll be surprised that I have some positive things to say with the concept of that, but it's a little bit more evident with some of the other masters, the artistry, the Coscarelli is another great one, that was really put forward into the concept. And this just doesn't seem like, I don't know, I don't think it was assigned. It just doesn't seem like Toby gives a shit about the story. And if a director doesn't care about the story, this is the, the ending result. And you're allowed to like it. Like, I don't want people to come to the end of this. And no, be like, it's well, not fuck. about that. It's, I mean, it's all, it's all subjective movie criticism shit. It's just, for me, what I like about Toby Hooper is not there. And it's just incredibly generic. It's just a generic entry into a anthology horror show that was supposed to be the cream of the crop. And this does not feel like cream of the crop. It feels like beleaguered and kind of lame but a lot of the other episodes are like that too because um even john lannis's dear woman is just like ugh, really okay <laughs> so i like i don't it's that's what i remember especially about watching the original run of this show because i had to watch it online i didn't have showtime um so yes i bootlegged it and each one i kept watching going God, this one, I bet this one's going to be really good. And I always felt a little bit disappointed with each one because what, it's Joe Dante. And I like the Joe Dante segment, but still, it's still slightly disappointing for a, a Joe Dante like movie or TV show segment. I mean, he made uh, the, uh, in the Twilight Zone movie. His segment in that is like fucking nuts. And this, eh, it's okay. I'll, I'll definitely get more into how it felt and what it was like when I first watched Masters of Horror when we do the Joe Dante episode. But for me, it was always, I never, I, I, it's, it's odd now. And I said this earlier, the, the stain of memory that I, I was obviously much younger than you were. I was in high school when these were premiering. So I was still discovering, I think around this time period, I had just found out who Richard Stanley and Jim Van Beber were. So I was I was getting into more alternative stuff. I'd already found Fulci. I'd already found Argento. I'm 15, 16 years old. So the names were more important to me than anything else. And this utter excitement of there's going to be a show that has 
all of these people, Dario Argento. I had just seen also a writer. I was so excited for Mike, and his was banned. It was soul-crushing to me, and I eventually got to see it about a year or two later. But I'd just seen Ichi the Killer. I was eating up exploitation as much as I could. So I, I remember distinctly the excitement of sitting down and that theme song would begin to play. And no matter what, at the time period, you know, uh, obviously you change and you take in knowledge differently as you grow older. It was just uh, a gift to be able to experience and watch Masters of Horror. And now, 17 years later, watching them for the show, a lot of that feeling still remains the same with me, though, that even though I don't care for this episode, even though... I really don't enjoy watching it, even though I've seen it three times at this point in one week. I'm still glad Toby got to do it. I'm still glad he came to these dinners with Mick Garris and, and became a part of this legacy that it does exist for the better or worse. And it's just that excitement because there are so many people that are going through what we went through years ago when you first discover these people and you first find these things. And I never want that trajectory to go away. I don't want somebody to hear something like this and be like, well, I'm not going to watch that. Because who the fuck knows? It could speak volumes to you very differently. It could affect you differently. And I remember distinctly being enamored with this episode when it came out. And maybe because I was of that culture's age. You know, I was I was dressing like that. I was into You're that sort of stuff. You were an edgy boy. Well, the whole metal idea and there's this big doom club and the cars and the futuristic drugs. It just seemed so fascinating and so quick. And, you know, now that I've said that, it kind of gives me a perspective that it, it could be from that teenage angle. And that's why it's so fast and so static. And, of course, this is an excuse at the end for Toby, you know, in his defense. But it really does connect and reflect more to a teenage uh, idea and a teenage brain than anything else because it's just, it's metal, baby. It doesn't need a point. And I I do agree with you. It's kind of like an old man just, like, this is what kids are doing, right? This is it. They'll, they'll like it, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know at all. Give me a Dr. Pepper. And God bless you, Toby Hooper. I hope wherever you are, there's Dr. Peppers and cigars. I drink Dr. Pepper, don't you see? Because it's the perfect taste for me. That original taste, you know. is making peppers everywhere I go. There's potent peppers, toting peppers, cooking peppers, good-looking peppers. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper, too? Us peppers are an interesting breed An original taste is what we need Ask any pepper and he'll say Only Dr. Pepper tastes that way There's carrying peppers, marrying peppers, dying peppers, quiet peppers Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? There's saluting peppers, tooting peppers I'm a pepper man Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Be a pepper Uh oh, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's done, bitch. So that brings us to the end of another installment of Death by DVD Does Masters of Horror, the most original, cunning title we've ever come up with. I can't, what else am I going to fucking call it? It's It's got to be that. It's a terrible URL, I know. Tune in next week for Dario Argento's Jennifer. That's it. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Sorry, Toby. It's just the way it is. Sometimes you make shit and sometimes you don't.
Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.